All right, so we're going to be continuing in the book of Joshua. Today makes our 68th message in the book of Joshua, and we've gotten all the way to Joshua chapter 9. We are knocking it out of the park. We're flying. My expectation is we got about another two years, and we will wrap up the book of Joshua. So it's... Uh, <laughs> Don't get prepared to move on. So, but what's awesome is this book is incredibly rich. I mean, incredibly rich. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I preached a message which was called The Wiles of the Devil. And in that message, we were talking about what's happened is the Israelites are having forces coming against them. They're going in trying to conquer the promised land that God had given them. They are now where they're supposed to be. But what we talked about was the fact that as they're making these advancements, um, because of their advancements, because of the things that God's done through them, because of God's power working on their behalf, their enemies are motivated by the work of God. So now we understand, recognize that there's a, this is super important to understand. There is a concept or a, a, a constant reminder that we need to have in ourself and in our hearts that, listen, the more God works in our lives, the more surrendered we are to the work of God the more motivated the enemy is to stop us, okay? For every plan of God, there is a counter plan. We have Christ, and then we have Antichrist, right? This is a picture that goes throughout Scripture. He's always working to discourage us, to try to stop us. So we recognize this. We understand this is his pattern. So we recognize and see it, and understanding the pattern helps us to recognize the vulnerabilities that we have. What we saw was as the Israelites had these victories at Ai and at Jericho, well, man, once the word got out of what had taken place, well, there was, uh, and in those instances, recognize something I want to touch on real fast, there was a military threat there, okay? They, at this point in time, the Israelites are familiar with a military threat. They're able to recognize that upfront enemy, right? But their weakness lies in subtlety. Their weakness lies in being able to recognize a friend that comes or an enemy that comes camouflaged as a friend. And as we were last week or a couple weeks ago with that, that message, The Wiles of the Devil, we were talking about the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites are some folks in the next town, pretty much. And what's happened is because of all that they've heard that went on with AI and Jericho, Jericho, Jericho I don't know why I was going to sing that somehow, um, but... <laughs> They came as ambassadors. They came masquerading themselves as ambassadors from a faraway land because God had warned them, listen, don't make a league with anybody in this land. You're supposed to wipe everything out, okay? And so understand, recognize the fact that this promised land for us, spiritually, it is the place where we walk with God. It's walking in fellowship with the Lord. When we are walking in surrendered fellowship, we're walking in oneness with God. That's our, that's our promised land. And he's saying, listen, you cannot afford to have enemies in that promised land. You've got to address every issue that's there. And what's happened here is these Israelites, as they've gone forward, these men are showing up and what they're telling them is like, you know what? We're your friends. We're your buddies. We have not come from this area. No, we come from far, far away. We're not a, we're not a threat to you. And what we recognize is the methodology that they were using. They were learning how to take advantage of the Israelites' weakness. And what we have to recognize for us as we see their weakness is understand that, guess what? It's our weakness too. Many times, you and I, in our walk with God, have a hard time identifying friend from foe. They can come. They can look the part. They can speak the part. And in the beginning, we might go, man, they're seeking God. 
But then when you start to walk life with them, you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Their priorities aren't my priorities. There's a biblical principle. Those that are not seeking God will not draw you closer to God. That's always true. We go, no, 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 no. I'm going to befriend. No, listen. Now, can you have people in your life that are not believers? Of course. Your life should speak into their lives. We should be a continual focus, but we don't give them a directing power in our life. They don't direct things. God directs things. We stay faithful to Him. But what we recognized was the fact that when these guys came, when the Gibeonites came on the scene, they appeared with a false identity, a false appearance, and a false promise. Their intent was to get God's people to put their faith and trust in them. Instead of trusting in God, who had already shown Himself to be faithful, and instead of trusting God's words, they were saying, hey, look, you can trust us more than what God, God said. And when we shift our trust from what God says and from God's word, and we start to put our trust and faith in what the world presents to us as truth, because let me tell you, it's got a lot of things to say. Anybody ever been on the thing called, what is it called, the inter... I can't remember what it's called, but it has a lot of influence, right? And it has an agenda, does it not? Is it godly? No, it's not. So there is this falseness out there, and we've got to be careful because when we do allow the world to determine and establish our faith and we follow what it says, it will take us to a path of destruction. Who else has taken a path that the road offered you and found destruction at the end of it? Boom. Across the board. It's always, always the same. So we recognize this is the issue, and we see the tactics that are employed as they try to get in the door. But our message this morning, which is going to be continuing in Joshua chapter 9, will be in verses 7 through 15. This morning, this message is titled, Deception's Influence. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters. And God, I do pray that, uh, Lord, you would speak to our hearts. Lord, you know that I have prayed diligently over this passage. God, I have prayed, I have studied, I have read. Uh, Lord, and I have asked you, uh, God, to speak to my heart, and I am confident that you have. Uh, But, Lord, I am asking you now um, that I would just get out of the way. Lord, I do not want to be heard. I don't want to be seen. Uh, Lord, my desire is that if you could remove the human element from this message and just give us what we need to hear, um, that would be amazing. Uh, God, I am the vessel today, and I will do my best to get out of the way. But, Lord, I do pray that you would eliminate me uh, as a detriment to this message. And, Lord, that you would work in spite of me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, we left off last time with Joshua chapter 9, verse number 6, and it said this, And they went to Joshua unto the camp at Gilgal, and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We come from a far country, now therefore make ye a league with us. A league means they're saying, hey, you know what? Sign a truce with us. Before your God, sign a truce. They're presenting themselves. Now what happens? Joshua and his men, at this point in time, they're leery of the visitors. So we get some additional information. Joshua 9, verses 7 through 15. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? Aren't you guys our neighbors? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are you? Who are ye, and whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are come, because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sahon, the king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, which was at Ashroth. Wherefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants, therefore now make ye a league with us. 
with this, our bread we took out. It was hot. Uh, this bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. And now, behold, it is dry and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine which we filled were new, and behold, they be rent. And these are garments, and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. He made the agreement, right? And we know that God's already told them that he was not supposed to make that agreement. But when we pick up this account, what we realize is the fact that, listen, the men are trying, they're trying to confirm that these Gibeonites, they're confronting them, right? They're asking them confrontive questions. They're trying to determine, hey, listen, who are you guys? They, verse number seven says this, and the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, peradventure ye dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? So at this point, the deception, it's not working. They're going, hey, you guys are our neighbors. And though they are called out right there, instead of losing heart, instead of being defeated and fleeing, no, they, they just double down on the lie. They go, hey, no, 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 no. Now, they don't notice this. They don't try to convince Joshua's men. I want you to notice where their attention is focused. And this shows us the very first point we're going to look at, which is Satan's deception focuses on deceiving leaders. Take note of who asks the question, verse number seven. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, peradventure you dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? So Joshua's men, they're asking these confrontive questions. They're going, hey man, who are you guys? What's going on? Why should we make, you guys are our neighbors. But notice this, this is their response. And they said unto Joshua, we are thy servants. So listen, they do not respond to the question. They ignore the question altogether that is asked by the men, and they respond to Joshua. Their focus is on the leader, right? And understand, at this point in time, Joshua's not buying what they're selling either. He has, he has questions. So he is doubtful of them, but they're going to focus their attention on him. Can you imagine why they want to convince Joshua? Yeah. Because Joshua has influence. Joshua's choice, Joshua's decision, this, the, whatever he chooses to do will impact those who he leads. And so what's happening is their focus is there because, listen, they understand that if they can get Joshua to buy in, that his influence will spread to everyone else. Right now, they have no influence. They're trying to establish their influence through convincing Joshua. But recognize this. The devil's always looking for maximum destruction. Always. He is very clever. And he always has a plan. And again, that plan is always maximum destruction. We look at John 10.10. What does God tell us? He tells us, Jesus told us, the deliverer, he says, that the thief cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and destroy. That verse continues, and Jesus says, but I have come to give, them, give you life, and life more abundantly. I've come to give you that promised land experience, but the devil's come to destroy you. And that's exactly what his intent is at this point in time. He is set on destruction. Focusing his attack on leaders to maximize the casualties of those that he can hurt. And recognize where we see a spiritual battle, okay, in the Bible. The Old Testament is a picture book. It has got physical stories of real historical events that took place. We see a battle between evil and good. And we can look at it and go, man, there's men with armor and shields and they're battling. They're fighting for their lives. And God says, okay, here's your picture. Now let me tell you this in Ephesians chapter number 6, that you're in a spiritual battle. 
You're fighting against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You're in a spiritual battle. So the picture in the Old Testament we see here is mimicked in our lives today in a spiritual form. So knowing this, knowing the subtlety of the enemy trying to work his way into their camp to bring destruction, God warns us. And guess who he warns and focuses on? Leaders. Look at 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. This is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, we would translate that as a pastor. He desireth the good work. Listen, number two, verse two. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not, even, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, it means he's not in it for the money, but patient, I'm working on that one, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Saying, listen, he understands the importance of being a spiritual leader in his home. He invests in his kids. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the word, the church of God? Not a novice. Okay? Means he's not, not inexperienced. He knows what he's doing. Less being lifted up with pride because pride is the weakness for all of us. That's where the devil's going to strike. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Pride is the issue. Verse, and it continues. He it says, uh, lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. He needs to have a good testimony. Recognize this. Lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. He's setting a trap. He's looking for ways to work his way into this person's life. And can I tell you this? If you're in a leadership, spiritual leadership role, be it in your home, in your community, or in your church, I can promise you that, man, the devil is setting snares for you. He's setting traps in your life. He's trying to find ways anywhere your weaknesses are. Why do we get struck in the exact same places time and time and time and time again? If you have a problem with patience, guess what? You're going to be put in all kinds of situations where the devil's going to try your patience. Anybody know what that's like? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Have kids? Boy, that's one. Sit in traffic? There's a good one. Coworkers? Oh, boy, there you go. Right? So the devil's going to strike where we're weak. Right? Their weakness is they don't recognize friend from foe, and that's where the attack comes from. So where your weakness is, that's where the attack's going to come from. And it's all about trying to get you to step into the snare, to fall prey to the trap. So we have to pay attention. We have to be mindful of what it is that's going around us. And understand, why does Paul warn? Listen, he learns this is for anybody who's a pastor, a deacon, a preacher, a teacher, or just a leader in your own home. And it's not only this. The deacons are immediately right after that. He talks about the same kind of principles. And throughout Scripture, you find these warnings to people about falling prey to the devil's traps. And the worst thing is, if people do not, if they will allow themselves to believe a lie, to first listen to the lie, then to believe the lie, and then actually find themselves starting to act upon it and live that lie, as leaders, the impact is catastrophic. We can think about story after story after story after story of spiritual leaders who have fallen. I was in a church where the pastor fell. I mean, and it was dramatic and it was destructive. And you know what it did? It sent shockwaves through families and destroyed people. All because, you know what? That man's heart and mind was not set on God. He was set on self. And see, that's our problem. We're prideful by nature. You sit and listen to me, and some of y'all be like, hmm, right. 
because you know better. Guess what? I do the same thing. We listen to people all the time. We're like, oh, yeah, whatever. We think we know better. And many times we do that to God. God's word will say something. We'll go, yeah, that's true, but not really for me. No, it's all true for us. We all have the same weaknesses. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he's saying, hey, listen, I'm warning you. I'm warning you. And what do we learn in the wiles of the devil? Why do people believe a lie? Because they don't know the truth. That's right. If you know the truth, no one can lie to you because you know what the truth is. The problem is there are many people who do not know the truth. Listen to what Paul says in that verse number 6 in 1 Timothy 3. Not a novice. They're experienced. They know what they need to know. And it says, because if they don't, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall in the condemnation of the devil. Biblical ignorance is exactly where false doctrine comes from. You cannot be led into false doctrine if you truly know what God's word says. Why does Paul tell us this? 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved. What it says, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Notice that phrase, rightly dividing the word of truth. That tells you that you can wrongly divide the word of truth. And this world is filled with people who are wrongly dividing God's word. They twist it. They take it and they'll say, you know what? I'm going to use it for my own purposes. And recognize the fact that, listen, spiritual leaders who are deceived, what it tells us is, guess what? Their life is not grounded in the truth. Their life is not grounded in the truth. Their life is not grounded in walking in righteousness and holiness because those vulnerabilities where we leave weaknesses, the Bible says, do not give place to the devil. And when you do live in sin and you do avoid doing the things of God, because remember, even when we know what we're supposed to and we don't do it, God says it's sin. For man to know what to do, to do it right, but he doeth it not to him, it is sin. And some of us, it's just not a matter of sin of, 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 of uh, what's it? Commission. It's omission, right? That sounds so, and man, it's one of those ones that would just flowed so well if I could just said it, but thank you guys for helping me. <laughs> I'm in the way again. But what we look at is also, Mechanized. That verse number two, what did it say? It said, a bishop then, notice the wording, must be. Must be. Because God knows the impact that a leader can have. The devastating influence that their life can have on those around them. Now, this doesn't mean that the devil's not actively working on those that are following. Oh, he is. Most doubtly, he's working on everybody. Because guess what? We're all leading somebody. We may not realize, well, I'm not a leader. No, 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 you are. Yeah. At, the, at your work where you're the Christian... Your friends that aren't are like, well, mm-hmm, see how she handles this. Man, that, the, woman in the, uh, the woman in room in 333, boy, I tell you what, she's bad news. Let's send, let's send Charlie in there see how it goes. This will be good. <laughs> yeah. Right? What would they love to see happen? Her to come out of there going, blankety blank. <laughs> right? They'd love that. But when she goes in there and she loves on them, and she might come out of there with tears in her eyes because she's broken hearted for their soul. Yes. And they go, what in the world? How in the world? And now Yulia goes through what she's going through. Yeah. You know what? God is going to shine through this. Amen. He's going to shine. Yes, hallelujah. And there are people that would go, man, if I was in her shoes, I know I'd be so bitter, I'd be so angry. And I can promise you that's not going to be the heart that Yulia has. Right. And when she goes through this and she says, you know what? I trust the Lord. There's people that never know who Christ is are going to go, wow, there's something different. Amen. Man, it's important that we stay close to the Lord. 
that we walk by by faith. But we need to here. As they come to them, what's going to happen is, remember, they've got a, a narrative they're trying to sell. And what we'll see is the influence from the followers is actually going to impact, impact Joshua. But we see this thing, they, there's a narrative they're trying to establish. In verse number 8, it says, We are thy servants. Now, we saw when they first came on the scene that they tried to make themselves very non-threatening. We're ambassadors. We're your friends. But now what's happening is they're adding another layer. They're adding this layer of subservience, this layer of humility. And recognize, by buying into this, this will be the downfall of Israel. This is going to be the void that's going to destroy them. But for now, what's happening is they are working this narrative. We are thy servants. We're not here for any other purpose than to serve you. But at this point in time, Joshua, guess what? He's not convinced. And what he does, he does what any good leader does. He starts asking questions. He asks questions, and this points us to our next second point, which is this. Satan's deception has answers for every question. Always. Verse number 8. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye and friends? From whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are. Okay? Notice that God's enemies do not avoid the question. They answer it outright immediately. They simply repeat exactly what they said before. They gave the exact same thing. Verse number 6, Remember said, They went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him, And to the men of Israel, We come from a far country, therefore make a league with us. So now they had that same thing, but now they talk back on that narrative. We come from a far country, but we're your servants. Here's something you need to know about us. We've come to bless you. We have no hidden agenda. We are just here to serve. And recognize the fact that, listen, Satan's deception is going to be customized to take advantage of their weakness. They're going, you know what? Part of them maybe likes the idea of being served. Maybe part of them goes, wow, this would be a good thing. And what can happen, it can feed into this natural vulnerability. They're attempting to deceive them for the same purpose, always, which is to divert people from the truth. That's what the devil's always trying to do. Why does he want us to believe things that are not true? Because guess what? It simply sets us away from the truth. Because if I accept this lie as truth, then I'm no longer going to look for the truth because I'll accept this thing as being true. So it's like, that's always what he's trying to do. He's always trying to make things appear to be the way that we want them to be. Many times preying upon our flesh. And this is where false religion comes in. Because what you'll find is when people go seeking for truth, the world will have lots of options. There are lots of things out there that will claim to be truth that are straight out of hell. Tons and tons. And what you'll find is they will take Scripture. You go and talk to a Jehovah's Witness at your door. If you don't know your Bible, they will take your Bible and they will twist you, which, I mean, every which way but loose. And you get down and you're like, well, gosh, it does say that, doesn't it? Well, the problem is it's all taken out of context. It doesn't make any sense. If you knew the Bible, you'd be like, no, 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 that's not what that says. And no, no, that's not what that says. And those, that's not even written to me. That's a Jewish promise. What are you doing? That, dude, you don't even know what you're doing. You're mistreating this Bible like crazy. This is all lies. And if you started to show them the truth, they're like, and I mean, I've had experiences, you know, when you start talking to one and the, one, the older one's there and the younger one's there, the older one starts going, okay, okay, we're going, come on, let's go, right? Because guess what the truth does? sets people free. They're in bondage to a lie. They believe that a certain number of hours they spend out knocking on doors and doing whatever they do. Why can they sit on the street corner and nobody come talk to them? They have no problem with it because it's not matter the number of people they talk to. It's the number of hours they put in. The watchtower told them if you put in enough hours, you'll go to heaven. 
Well, actually, you won't. You'll go to kingdom. You'll, you'll be on earth. 144,000 have already gone. It's, it's a whole mess. We're not going to talk about all that. But anyway, <laughs> that doctrine is they're so jacked up, it's not even funny. Um, but we look at this. This disguising itself as truth, right? The lie disguising itself as truth. 2 Peter 3.16 says this. We, as, as also in his epistles, recognize, this is interesting. So if you ever read the Bible, and sometimes you may read the book of Romans, and you read something, you go, man, this is kind of hard to follow. That's Paul, okay? A lot of Paul in the New Testament, right? Like 14 books. So what happens when you read Paul, sometimes he's a little hard to follow, okay? And what's interesting is Peter recognizes that sometimes Paul's hard to, hard to understand. So in this verse, Peter says this, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. Because I, I, he's like, I struggle. I'm an apostle, for goodness sakes. I have a hard time following sometimes. Which they, listen, they that are unlearned, okay? These are those that are going to twist the word. They that are unlearned and unstable, what do they do? Rest. That's the root word of Russell. They rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. They're going to twist the truth. It's not going to be what it really says. And so not only does he deliver lies to those seeking God, he also works on a personal level to give us lies so that you and I will make emotionally fueled responses to questions like this. Why me? Why me? Why am I sick? Why did I lose my job? Why am I alone? Or something like this. Don't I deserve more? I mean, I look at everything going on around me. Don't I deserve more money, more friends, more me time, some more stuff? And we had those questions. And guess what? The devil's got answers. And if you've ever asked these questions, you've probably heard answers very similar to the ones we're getting ready to give. Why me? You know why? Because God doesn't really care about you. He's turned his back on you. And you know what you need to do? The very same thing to him. Don't go to church. That word, you know what? It didn't help. Don't read the Bible. There's no point in even praying. Just walk away. There are people that were in church a year ago, six months ago, last week maybe, that aren't here today because he whispered a lie and they believed it. And then we think about this. Well, don't I deserve more? Yes, you do. The devil's going to tell you, yes, you do. If anybody deserves more, it's you. <laughs> I mean, and you know what? You have every right to do whatever it takes in order to get it. You're justified in whatever decisions and choices you make. Has anyone ever had these thoughts? Yes. Those are answers that you will hear. Yes, yes. But you see, the real answer is the same for both of them. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Be set free from the lies of the enemy. Submit yourself to God. Walk in reverence to the Lord. Experience the peace of God that comes with serving Him, with giving Him your heart. Because the world's going to promise it's going to deliver peace and some kind of, uh, of happiness. But I'm going to tell you, it's not going to deliver peace. It's going to deliver more and more unrest. And the more we fill the void of our lives with the answers of the world, the more the void grows. The more broken we are, the more helpless we become. And you know what? God in those moments is still not going, hey, you look, I tried to reach you. I'm done with you. No. In those moments, he's saying, I love you. I love you. What you're doing breaks my heart. But man, I love you. I love you so much. Would you just turn? 
Would you just turn? Would you just turn? And man, I'm telling you, that's why the Bible says, in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet, while you're in the midst of sin, God's going, I love you. I died for you. I want to redeem you, restore you, heal you. That's why you're here. I created you for a purpose that's so much greater than you can possibly understand. And if you'll surrender to it, man, oh man, will you experience the peace of God. But see, what the world offers, it always leaves people broken and hopeless. Maybe not the day or a week or a year. Some people, it's not till the end of their life. They lay on their deathbed and they look back what their life was. And they see the emptiness of it all. If I could only go back. Well, praise the Lord, we can decide today to change the rest of our lives. Because you know what? What happened to Yulia? Man, that's a freak accident. It could have taken her life. She had no clue. She's standing with her kids, looking up. Next thing you know, she's in the hospital, doesn't even know what happened. Any of us could be taken from this earth in an instant. But we're given today, man, so we need to live it for God's, God's glory. Yes. Amen. And I'm not even on my notes, but we'll get back to them. They answer, okay? They have answers. Right? Who are ye? And sure enough, they say, we are thy servants. And from whence come ye? We come from a very far country. But they don't stop there. No, what they're going to do, they're going to add on to it. So in order for, an, a trap to, uh, for a trap to be effective, it has to sound good, yes. But it also has to look good, right? When I, I, as a young man, I, I started going duck hunting with my dad when I was about 11 years old. And when you go duck hunting, you sit in something called a duck blind. And you have these things called duck calls. I'm really not good at them, but I try. So you make the duck call. It sounds pretty good. Well, mine don't sound good, but people that know how to do it, it sounds good. It sounds like a duck. So the ducks respond, and you'll hear them. They'll go, whack, 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 and they go, whack, 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 and you talk to them back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and they're communicating. So it sounds good. So as they get closer, they start looking, and they have really good eyes. Like, so you can make sure you keep your gun down, because you don't want a reflection of light. Like a flash of light, man, they'll, because they'll, they got good eyes. And everything's camouflaged. Everything's hidden, because you don't want them to know that that's a dangerous little island floating in the water. You want them to think, you know what, that's a good place. There's some ducks already over there having a snack. Let's go hang out with those guys. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which brings us to our next point. Satan's deception will have convincing evidence. And what we'll notice here is the first evidence is this, a false reverence for God. Verse 9, thy servants are come. Why? Because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we've heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. Okay, so just like in Jericho, remember whenever Rahab tells the story? She goes, man, oh man, we've all heard what God has done. Oh my goodness, we've heard these stories. Verse 10, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sahon, king of Eshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, which was, uh, what, which was with, which was with, whatever that says, somebody else, which was at Ashtaroth. Thank you very much. But I want you to pay attention. There's a little detail here that's very interesting. And I just think I'd never seen it before. But if you take note, we know that in verse number 3 in Joshua 9, it says that the reason why the Gibeonites respond like they respond is because of what happened at at Ai and Jericho. But notice, if you were local, you would know all about Ai and Jericho. But if you were for a far country, all you would know about is what happened at Egypt and the other stuff that took place in the wilderness. So though they come because of Ai and Jericho, they do not mention it. It's just another little layer to make this a convincing story. They drop that part out. Notice what they say. All that he, says, all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites and beyond Jordan, Sihon, king of Ishbon, and, Og the Bashan, and uh, king of Bashan, which was at Asheroth. That little detail is dropped out. 
to say, you know what, we are from a far country. They profess a false reverence for God. And what we know is the fact that, you know what, in our day and age, there are a lot of people that will profess a false reverence for God. Listen to this, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers. This is like we're looking at the internet. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, that means out of control, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And there's an attack on the family right now. The value of a man in the home has been destroyed for the last 50 years. A man or women are told, you do not need a man, you do not need a man, you do not need a man. Believe in yourself, it's all about you. Notice this next part. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, people that have been emotionally distorted and treated, led away with diverse lusts. Verse number seven, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There are people that have incredible biblical knowledge. You can go sit in the office of plenty of guys that have got theological degrees and all kinds of letters after their names, but you know what? They are ever learning. They say, oh, I know the Bible. The problem is they don't know how to apply it. They have never, ever understood the actual truth of what it says. And so there are a lot of people that are ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You don't have to have a theological degree to understand this Bible. All you need is the Holy Spirit of God that dwells in your heart because He's the one that will explain it to you. And if you go to a church and they're preaching something and it sounds good, but your spirit is churning in your heart and you go, well, that, 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 that was a little off. And well, that didn't line up quite right. What? Wake up. Deceivers. Deceivers. Deceiving others, and the Bible says, and also being deceived. They're being fooled themselves. In our, in our day and age right now, we are surrounded with a false reverence for God. Especially in the South, man. People say, oh, man, I love God. Oh, I love God. Yes, I do. They live like the world, but they love, they love God. Notice what that verse says in verse number four. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. It doesn't say they don't love God. They love God. They just love pleasures more than God. Right? Oh, I love God, but man, honey, did you see the weather for this forecast this weekend? Girl, we got to take that boat out to the lake. Woo. We're going to praise God on the water. Right? Am I that far off? Right? It's just what it is. That's the way people function. And so what happens? But what does Jesus tell us if he truly loved God? What does he say? John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Right? Simple. Simple. Someone doesn't need to be possessed by the devil in order to be used by the devil. Because I can tell you this, man, these carnal Christians that look like the world, you know what they do? They discourage believers. Man, if you're really trying to live for the Lord and there's people that are claiming Christianity, they're living like the world, man, it's like, oh, man. It's discouraging sometimes, especially when there's a, a flood of them in the culture that we're in today. So many people that claim Christianity, but they don't live it. Remember, Christianity was not something that you claim. It's something that you earn. In Antioch, it says they were first called Christians at Antioch. That means that the outsiders gave them the name. We live in a culture where people go, I'm a Christian. I'm going to get the tattoo and the shirt, and I'm going to put the bumper sticker on my car, and I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to claim it. And people go, okay, let me watch your life. And they go, wow, they don't look anything different than my other neighbors. Interesting. 
But if we live a life that's sanctified and set apart, guess what? People go, there's something about you. How awesome is it if you never mention you're a Christian, but your neighbor goes, I'm assuming you've got to be a Christian. And you go, oh, in fact, I am. And they go, I knew it. I could tell. That's what being a Christian is. We live in a culture that's completely turned it upside down. But what happens is hypocrisy. Not only does it drive or does it discourage Christians, but guess what it does? It drives the lost away from God. Because, again, they're judging who God is based upon the testimony that we live. That's why it's so important that we live a life that is honest, that is forthright, that is faithful to the Lord. Because, listen, these unfaithful believers, there's false prophets also that are out there working to lead people astray. Listen to 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Satan's ministers are literally actively working to deceive mankind. They're actively working to give false truths. And so what happens? We have to be cautious of deception's influence. And the only way for us to do this is to recognize it and understand it. So we see this false evidence doesn't just present a false reverence for God. No. The evidence goes further. They give a false origin story. Verse 11. Wherefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants, therefore you now make ye a league with us. These guys are the kings of the nearby villages, and we're going to get to these nearby cities. These men are not lowly individuals, but they come across as, Hey, you know what, we're just, we're just following orders. And what they're doing is they're including this origin story to make themselves even more non-threatening. They repeat the same narrative. We are your servants. We have come to bless you. We're not a threat to you in any way, shape, or form. And of course, it's all lies, but that doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that they convince Joshua. And can I tell you, when you deal with a deceiver, they will say anything to convince you. Anything. When I was a a younger man, I'm still young. Um, when I was a younger man, I was a period of time in my life when I worked in Philadelphia, and I used to work in sales. And um, one night I was in, uh, on the, after work, I would go into a, to an ATM machine. They still have ATMs, right? Yeah. Things have changed so much, I don't use them. But, so I'm at the ATM machine, I'm there, you know, punching in my code and all this kind of stuff like that. And this guy comes up behind me, he's like, hey, uh, sir, sir? And I'm like, oh boy, it's night, you know, it's about 10 o'clock at night, and I'm like, oh boy, here we go. So I'm like, turn around, and this guy's like, hey man, Look, I don't want to be a threat to you in any way, shape, or form. Don't see me as a threat, please. I'm just a guy who's in need. Look, my car was parked down the road, and the guys come to tow my truck. I don't have enough cash. I'm literally like $1.85 short. Could you just give me $1.85, like $1.85, $2? And he's like, dude, I would even bring you back the change if I have to after I talk to the guy at the tr- with the tow truck. But he's right there. I mean, dude, you can probably see the lights flashing. He's right down there. And I'm like, ah, you know. I'm sitting there going, hmm. So then he's like, dude, look. And he's like, man, he's like, and he's like, and he holds up his keys. He's like, they're about to tow my Jeep like that. And I'm like, I drive a Jeep. And that's not a Jeep key. <laughs> and he goes, he goes like this. He's like, oh, man, you got me. <laughs> and he just walked off. But man, he had so many details in his story. And he had some false evidence, some physical proof to show me it's real. Believe what I'm showing you and what I'm telling you. And that's exactly what happens here. We see not only the fact that there's this false uh, reverence for God and a false origin story, but there's also false proof. Verse 12. This our bread we took hot 
for our provision out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. Now, behold, but now, behold, it is dry and it is moldy. Verse 13, And these bottles of wine which we filled were new, and behold, they be rent. These are garments, our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. Man, we've come so long. Look at the physical proof. If you don't believe what we're telling you, just look with your eyes. It all lines up, dude. We're being straight with you. And then they throw in additional story details. Hey, you know what? Hey, these little props that they're showing, and they give the details. This was hot when it came out, man. This was this hot for us. This was like, you know, mmm, soft and smelly. It smelled good in the bag. Look at it now. It's all hard and dry. This proves to you. They're trying to convince them all the best that they possibly can, using every resource that they can to prove to, prove to them that this is true. And if you were looking on the surface alone, it all lines up. It all lines up. This is a really convincing story. But I can tell you, the devil is going to present to us very convincing things. You see, a lie only works well when it's wrapped around, or a, true, a, lie, only wraps, wraps, a lie only works well when it's wrapped with truth, right? If you share a lie when you're a kid, right, you try to figure out how to mix your lie into a story that you can fortify or can sort of solidify and help to stabilize your story so that the lie doesn't come out and there's enough truth hidden around it. And that's exactly what's happening here. There will always be false evidences, false proof that we can see. And you know what the devil loves to do? Say stuff like this. Hey, man, just look how many times you have fallen back into your addiction. You've tried. You've given your best effort. And you just keep failing. There's no hope, man. It's time you give up. And we can look at the proof of our life and go, wow, you know what? He's right. But that doesn't take into account the miraculous work of God. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right? Stuff like this. Serving God, man. Giving Him all your time and all your energy and all your effort and dedicating yourself to Him. Do you see all the things you're missing out on? Do you not see all the fun that your friends are having that they're going and doing this stuff? Listen, serving God is a waste of time. Just look at their fun. Look at their posts. You could have been there with them. You're missing out on so much and countless other lies that are all designed to feed our flesh. You know what our flesh loves? To be satisfied. It loves to be satisfied. Who's ever like been hungry and you're walking outside and there's restaurants nearby and somebody might be sitting eating outside and you walk by and they're like eating a big old slice of pizza or a burger. And you're like, oh, baby. I know we're budgeting. <clears throat> but did you see? Did you see that? Just come look. Can we? Can we just? Baby, please. Because our flesh loves to be satisfied. And the devil knows that. And he preys upon it, especially when we're weak. Right? You don't normally blow your diet when you're full on broccoli. (laughs) It's when you missed a meal and somebody's sitting there eating a big bowl of Cheetos and you're like, just hand them over, brother. It sounds like I'm just talking about myself here, but I'm not really trying to include everybody else in this. 
But what we see is, again, there's this, this false conclusions uh, which feed all feed into a narrative that's designed to feed and to fulfill the flesh. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to de- determine our path based upon our faith, not to based upon our fleshly desires or the things that we see. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Now that's so easy to say, but it's extremely, extremely hard to live. It's easy to say to someone else in their circumstance or situation, man, walk by faith, not by sight. But when the storm that you face is overwhelming, when the clouds are dark and you hear the thunder, it's hard to trust. When Jesus was in the boat with the disciples, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? The Creator is sitting in the boat. And yet they're fearful of the storm. And what does He say? Peace, be still and calm. It's the same God. And if you're born again, guess what? He's in the boat with you. Praise the Lord. But understand, it's recognized we've got to learn how to walk by faith. Hebrews 11.1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Notice the word that he uses there. Substance of things hoped for. Hmm. Substance. You can hold a substance. You can count on a substance. He's saying, listen, treat it like it's real. Treat it like you already have it. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You haven't seen it yet, but just trust it. Live like you already have it. We walk with Christ because guess what? We are assured what the future holds. I do not fear what death will bring. I can fear what no man will bring against us. Preach. Amen. Because we know in whom we have believed. Romans 1.17 says this, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. Listen, our faith, it must be grounded in God's Word and His promises. Because I can promise you, if it's not the deception of Satan, man, I'm telling you, he's going to come with convincing narratives and backstories and all the evidence that we could possibly want. And you know what it always does to every single individual, every one of us? It presents us with our last point. Satan's deception forces a decision. Verse 14. And the men took up their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. That is their critical error. That is their downfall. It says, and the men, okay? Remember we talked about the followers would influence the leader. The men check out the story. They look at all the details. They look at everything. And they ask not counsel of God. They don't say, hey, we should ask the Lord. Joshua doesn't either. And guess what? This is going to be their downfall. They're walking by sight. Verse 15, And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. They're all in. Guess what? They are our servants. They are here to bless us. There is no threat. They forgot what God warned them. Exodus 23, verses 22 through 20, or 32 through 33. Thou shalt make no covenant with them. Joshua, when you get there, there will be some that are going to try to make a covenant with you. There will be some that are going to approach you and they're going to want to make a deal. Do not do it. And he's not just forbidding them like a parent who says, you know what, you're not going outside. Why, mommy? Because I said so. Right? I, I, I used to have a friend of mine. That was his mom's response to everything. Because I said so. And we was like... Bruh. I'm not bitter about it. I just have not forgotten it for 50-some years. So. 
But verse 33, he explains. They shall not dwell in the land. Why? Lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be, notice the wording, a snare unto you. Unto thee, sorry. So, knowing this, Joshua, when they come to you, choose wisely. But he doesn't. He doesn't choose wisely. He weighs the evidence, listens to the advice of his men, and they don't seek counsel from God. Now, there's been one other instance when they did the exact same thing. Remember when they went to AI for the first time? They looked at the circumstance. They evaluated the circumstance. They didn't seek God, and they got whopped. Right? It went terrible for them. So what's happening here is literally they've simply taken this advice and imagine and say, look, you know what? This all looks good. Let's trust it. And listen, I'm just telling you this. If there is a word or a advice that comes to us, no matter how convincing it might be, no matter how well established it might be, no matter how much makes sense, makes sense it might have for us, and we might go, you know what, this sounds good, it sounds good. If it does not line up with the Word of God, do not receive it. Right. Do not receive it. Don't trust it. And do not act upon it. Because I can promise you, it is a lie deceiving you away from the truth. God has established exactly every question you could possibly ask in this life is answered in this book. So if you have a question, you don't know how to go forward, and you can't find it, go find somebody who can help you. Talk to somebody. Get counsel from somebody. Go, let me, let me show you what the answer is. Don't act upon what you see and what you believe to be right without a substantiation from the Word of God. This will keep us safe. Safe from the destructive power. Because recognize our enemy, he is seductive, he's crafty, he's creative, and he is insightful. And he is gunning for us. Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary the devil, like a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. He's hunting every one of, every one of us. And listen, if we're not armored up, and we're not established in the word of God, and we're not grounded in truth and living a life that's righteous, you know what we do? We set ourselves up to believe a lie and fall under the influence and the power of deception. There are people in this room today, I guarantee you, that are under the deception power, the power and the influence of deception. They're believing a lie. But if that's you, if you're watching this online, you go, man, I'm stuck, I'm in a mess. I leave you with these words from the Lord Jesus Christ in John 8, 32. And ye shall know the truth. And what will that truth? That truth shall set you, make you free. It will make you free. If you're captive, if you're captive to a lie, go to the truth and find freedom. Because I can promise you, listen, living a life of freedom in the truth or living stuck and caught in captive, captivity to a lie it is a choice. It is a choice. As a believer or an unbeliever, God has given His Word to us. He has preserved the truth throughout time so we can turn to it. The problem is we have to make a decision. It always makes me think that, that the term when he's here, choose wisely. It always takes me back to the Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Got to choose between the grails. And there's the old knight and stuff like that. It's not biblical and stuff like that, but it's just, just that thing. And he's like sitting there, he's like thinking, thinking, thinking. And the old man's like, choose wisely. <laughs> and can I tell you, when it comes to making a choice, believe a lie, or 
or seek the truth, we must choose wisely. Every day we get to choose. Amen. Let's choose wisely. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the truth, the gift of the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for what you've shown us. Lord, I know I've gotten in the way and I've uh, probably made a mess of it, but I just pray that you'd uh, help us all to receive what it is you need us individually to hear. Uh, different messages speak to us in different ways. And uh, Lord, I know that this, this is the truth of your word. And I do pray, God, for my brothers and sisters that maybe are today struggling with a lie. Maybe there's something going on in their life. And they know it's ungodly. They believed a lie long enough and they recognize it for what it is. They've known in their own heart. But Lord, maybe today you brought it to the surface and they're ready to, to deal with it, to repent of it, uh, to turn to you, God. I know as we have sought revival in this church, the devil has attacked on so many different levels so many different families. And God, I do pray that you'd help us to seek truth. Help us to be those believers that will not compromise, that stand upon the truth and will face the enemy. As we saw in the video, sometimes we flee, but sometimes we stand. And Lord, it is time to stand. And my own heart, Lord, you know, I desire it so bad. I'm my own worst enemy. And Lord, I not, try not to bear the weights of the other people in my family or the people in this church. And yet, God, it does weigh on me. And it breaks my heart. But Lord, you are greater. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So we put our faith in you. Not based upon what we see. But Lord, we know. And the promises that you've given us. If you're here today and you say, look, I don't know where I stand with God. I don't even know if I, if I am a child of God. 20 years ago, somebody asked me if I knew for sure I was going to go to heaven, and I just said, I don't know, and I didn't. I believed in God, I guess, but it's not believing in God. It's receiving the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a surrender, a surrender. If you feel the draw of God pulling on your heart, he's calling you to salvation. He died on the cross for the sins of the world. You're a sinner, and you desperately need a Savior. And right now, as he looks into your heart and he calls you, all you have to do is respond. You know that you're a sinner, that he's the Savior. You cannot save yourself. It's not religion. It's not works. It's nothing but faith. Faith. And if by faith you will receive him, he will receive you. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive him, I'm going to lead you in prayer. There's no magic in the prayer. It is nothing more than your broken heart calling out to the one that can restore it. Repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for my sin. I believe that you love me in spite of myself. I know that I failed you, but I'm asking you, Lord, right now, in the best way I know how, to forgive me of my sins, to pay my sin debt with your life and to receive me as your child. God, save my soul. Thank you, Lord. I trust you. I want to walk with you. Help me to be the child of God you've created me to be. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Heads